0: again to see you in God's house. What a presence is among us this morning. I feel some liberty in this house today. I believe God is a God who sets free, who breaks chains. You know, so many of these chains are, are self-inflicted,
1: but God doesn't care about that.
0: He is able and willing to break every single form of bondage, of addiction, of despair, of discouragement. The world is in a desperate condition today. I can't tell you the number of people I encounter just in a one week on the job, how many people whose lives are, are shipwrecks, I, I say that in love. I mean, it, it constantly amazes me what people can do to mess up their own lives. Yes. But I serve a God who is able today. We may make a mess out of things. I've made plenty of them in my life. But God is always there. Yes. Somehow, way, lift us up. Straighten us out. Put us back on the right track. I thank God. I thank God this morning. He is the kind of God that he is. Didn't have to be that way. A lot of the things that people used to call gods weren't so nice about it. They were judgmental and harsh and cruel and And they saw man as something to be sported with. But our God became one of us simply to show us how much he loved us and what he was willing to do. Give God praise one more
1: time.
0: Hallelujah.
1: Thank God.
0: It's great to see you this morning. You're looking so wonderful today. What a beautiful congregation we have here in the house this morning, and we also want to welcome those who are listening to us today on our audio service line. We miss you. Wish you were here. Hope to see you very soon, but I tell you what, God's on the move. He's on the move. He's, a, he's up to something good in his church, and I, I can't wait to see how it all turns out. We do want to let you know that if you would have a heart to give this morning, you can do so in the receptacle there at the back of the church on your way in, on your way out, anytime. If you're one of the digital generation, if you're a, a tapper and are a techer, you like to do things digitally, uh, you can go to lhcogfl.org. You can give there uh, through PayPal. You can give there to Givelify. Uh, if you're really old school, you can put it in the mail and drop it in that way. We'll take it anyway. We're not picky about such matters, but we do appreciate your generosity. Your giving is what keeps the lights on and keeps the gospel being preached. We wouldn't we wouldn't be able to continue without it. So thank you so much for all you do uh, to keep hope in this community. I said before, this world's in a desperate place. So many lives. I had a real... Cri- I, I, I don't know about you. I feel like our, our nation is at a very critical place. We're going to go one of two paths. And uh, my hope, my prayer, that we're going to turn back to God. Revival is going to come to our land one more time. Maybe for the last time. But, you know, if we turn the other direction, it's going to get very dark. But either way, your support makes it possible for at least people to hear about the hope of Jesus and to keep that light shining no matter how dark it gets. So thank you for so much. Uh, there won't be a prayer call this afternoon, but you can call in Wednesday at 12 o'clock with your prayer request. Reverend Fogel will be there to pray with you, pray for you, pray through you. However, whatever it takes to get God to move in your life, you call the uh, you call the uh, prayer line number, and you will be ministered, too. You can call in on Wednesday night at 745. We'll have our midweek Bible study. We had a hot one last Wednesday night. I tell you, they were coming at me from the left, coming at me from the right. They were just throwing it all at me. I tell you what, I was dancing, but God is good. Amen we got through it I love those classes I tell you what you challenge me you make me a better teacher you make me study harder and pray more and that's a good thing so keep it up keep the heat on me don't let me slide by Let me, make me answer those questions because you want to know and what the scriptures have to say about this and have to say about that so thank you call in 745 and of course be back here next Sunday morning For Sunday school and for morning worship. Also let me let you know at the end of March, I'm not sure what the date is, but I know it's the last Saturday. Whatever the last Saturday is of March, uh, we will be having a quarterly prayer gathering here at the church, 8.30 in the morning. I want you to come through, uh, uh, come up and show yourself in person. We need to pray Always. We try to pray at least once a quarter. Uh, We probably ought to do it every day, every week, but the way things are going, but once a quarter you would come out and pray together. And I do want to also offer, as I ask you to turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 1, there are days where, as a pastor, you're just so forlorn and you feel forsaken and you feel like uh, you're in it all by yourself and you're like, like, The the burden is too heavy to carry. And then there's other days like yesterday where you come to the church and you see those men of, those useless men. (laughs) Those do nothing men. Those men that ride the coattails of the women's ministries for years and years. But once every generation, they show up. No, I'm teasing, gentlemen. Uh, The brethren came out yesterday, did some much needed repair work here at the church. And uh, I tell you, I pulled up and I was just smiling ear to ear. I just, boy, I tell you, it's a blessing. And uh, they're working by the keys here during the week. You may notice some things getting painted up and fixed up, and I appreciate that. Brother Mike and Brother Donald came out yesterday and did some great work, bought a couple of friends. And I tell you, you just you just love it. You just love it as a pastor. You love it. You know? You uh. They set up Jesus. The zeal for the Lord's house consumed him. Yeah. And I, I see that in some of these brothers and sisters not leaving you out. I know what you do. I know the work you do. I'm not, I'm not ignoring you. Uh, but to see it in full bloom was, uh, was a blessing to me. I had a great Saturday. My Saturdays aren't always great, but yesterday was great. And thank you. Thank you so much. All right, have I forgotten any announcements? Was there anything else going on that uh, slipped my mind? Swiss cheese as it is these days. All right, praise the Lord. Gospel of Mark, Chapter 1. I just want to say what a, can I just, can I, can I take a personal indulgence for a moment? I love to see these little ones in a house of the Lord. Praise God. Amen. I tell you, these little children, oh, suffer the little children. And forbid them not. I love to see them in the household. That's another thing that makes you happy as a pastor. You see a new generation coming. Praise the living God. All right. Gospel of Mark chapter 1 verse 12 says, Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beast. And the angels ministered to him. May God's blessings accompany the reading of his word. Let's bow our heads together. Father, thank you so much for your precious word, your precious holy scriptures. We would be lost. We would be lightless without this word of God, inspired and preserved, translated so that we can read it in our own language, that we we can comprehend The mind of God, the will of God, the height and the depth and the breadth. Oh, what a precious gift. This word is to us today. We pray, O oh God, today that it would just flow freely and clearly and with such anointing that it is a life-changing word for some in this house today, Lord God. Let the, let the one who preaches it today be anointed, God. You know all of his limitations and weaknesses. And let every heart and mind be prepared to receive it, O oh God, today. Let the word take root. Let it bear fruit. We ask it in Jesus' name, and each one agrees. Amen. Last week we talked about that pivotal moment in the life of Jesus at his baptism in the River Jordan, how that set him on an unalterable course for the redemption of this world, how he made that choice to step into those waters. And I thank God for water baptism and what it can do to change the life of an individual. But this next event in the life of Jesus, I think, is just as significant and sometimes gets overlooked now you You can read more detail about Jesus' temptation experience in the wilderness in the Gospels of Mark or in the Gospels of Matthew and the Gospels of Luke. There they include the whole story of how Satan came to christ and 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 presented those temptations to him, that lust of the flesh and that Lust of the eyes and that pride of life that uh, brought, uh, uh, brought Jesus to the brink of having to choose between God's way or, or the devil's way. And I tell you today, we are, we are, I believe, and I said it earlier, I believe as a nation and I believe as a church, we are, we are, are, are at such a crossroad where we're going to have to make some very difficult choices about if we're going to truly be committed to the path that God has laid out, or if we're going to compromise, as so many before us have done, and lose that special anointing and that special grace that flows through the the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit, you notice here, that brought Jesus into this place. And I want to talk to you this morning about the temptation of Jesus Christ and what it means for each and every one of us this morning, I believe we all know what it means to be tempted. I think we're all familiar with that pool that comes from within us and that is provoked by the things that we see and the things that we hear and the things that we taste we We have a we have a we have such a nature that is always grasping and always uh, always looking for some some delight some pleasure some something to tickle the fancy. We we all understand the power of temptation, but I tell you here this morning that what Jesus endured on our behalf in this period of time in the wilderness that, that dead Mark says was 40 days. He went through a very special period of very intense spiritual warfare in direct conflict and confrontation with Satan Himself. You don't, you don't, you and I don't really know what it means. Uh, I don't believe many of us have, have ever really experienced that, uh, that direct uh, frontal assault where the prince of demons comes and with all of his guile and, and all of his deception and all of his allure to try to draw us away. From the path that God has prepared for us. Make no mistake about it, the world does a good job of it. The world is constantly trying to pull us away from God's path of righteousness, from that narrow path of walking with God. But in this case, we see a full and complete assault of hell itself. Satan pulling out all of his stops to try to, to, to destroy the redemptive plan of god before it can even be put into effect satan is trying to perform here what i would call a spiritual abortion to bring to an end what was what was what what, what the life of jesus was intended to accomplish not only for himself but for each and every one of us if satan wins here there is no cross There is no empty tomb. There is no life everlasting. There is no hope beyond the grave. If Satan wins this battle, all is lost. To be called into such a conflict, one must have very special character and must have a very special purpose. And we recognize that in Jesus. He was unique. He was one of a kind. There was something about Jesus which made him the only qualified candidate to come into this particular conflict with Satan. But this is not the first conflict that I want to talk to you about. But well, I want you to understand the full context and, and the full background and the full history of what is at play and what is at stake in this temptation. We tend sometimes to minimalize it. We, we think of Jesus as impervious. We think of Jesus as immune to any allure of the world or of Satan but I'm telling you here today that there was another time another man that Jesus was stepping into the pattern and into the path of to be redeemed we must go back to the place where we fell I want you to understand that about redemption in our personal life To be redeemed, we have to go back to that place where we left off, where we abandoned the path of righteousness, where we turned our back on God. It's not simply a matter of picking up the pieces from wherever we are, but we must go back to that moment of time. We must go back to that place where everything went wrong. If we are to be fully redeemed, we must confess, and we must repent of the very act, itself of turning away from God. Many of us have, are sorry for our sins, but we're not really sorry that we're a sinner. We feel bad when we do wrong, but we still see ourselves in a very positive way. I was talking with someone this week, and I had some situations at work, and it breaks my heart. Sometimes to see, I told you before, people who've made a shipwreck of their lives. And I had a, a young man working for me who made some colossally bad choices, put himself in a very bad situation. And and, and as he was trying to explain it to me, and, 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 and unfortunately the situation was such, I, was, I, was, I had called him into my office to tell him he didn't have a job anymore. That he had done some things that were were just were just made him incapable of continuing to work in 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 the place and work for me and and I hated to do that it 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 broke my heart but he but he tried every justifying excuse every 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 way you could try to think of the, the claim that it wasn't his fault that it was this or that and I finally had to look him dead in the eye and I said son I said son you are not a thief. Because you stole. You stole because you're a thief. Until you deal with what's in your heart. Until you deal with the core of who you are. As long as you think it's some other, as long as you believe it's circumstantial. As long as you believe it's someone else's fault. You'll never ever change if you want to be redeemed you've got to go to the place of redemption and the place of redemption is the place where you were broken or the place where you first turned your eyes away from the path of righteousness and since christ came here as a representative of all humanity he had to go to the place where everything went wrong with humanity. Let me take you back to Genesis chapter 3. Let me take you to a garden. Let me take you to where a different son of God, Adam, the son of God, in standing before the human race, had his own conflict with Satan, had his own conflict with temptation. We don't even teach this anymore. We don't even preach this anymore. We ignore the book of Genesis like it's some fairy tale or some myth. But if you want to understand what's wrong with humanity today, you've got to go to the place where everything fell apart. It was there in a garden that God took the man that he had created from the ground, that he had breathed into that breath of living life, that he had called his son was given the commission and given the the, the task of, 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 of doing the work that God had assigned him to do. He too had a choice. One path of righteousness, one path of the knowledge of good and evil. He too faced a temptation. Now I want you to understand the bigger picture here what was what was happening in the life of Jesus Christ is a recapitulation of the entire journey of the human race he had come paul tells us in the book of first corinthians as a second adam if, he, if humanity is to be cured of this disease of sin, there must be a do-over. There must be a born-again. There must be a renewal. There must be a restarting of the clock. And if we're going to do that, we've got to go back to Genesis and go back to the garden of God. There, Satan came in a, in a disguised form. I want you to see that. I want you to see not only what is similar, but I want you to see what is different about these two experiences. The second Adam must succeed where the first Adam failed, carrying out God's renewing of creation. And in order to do that, he has to be proven that he can be trusted to do God's work. We don't understand. Some of us don't even realize what the the test was all about but where Adam was tested to see if he would be obedient to God and if he would do things God-way, so was Christ. Christ had many paths before him, many different options of how to go about the, the mission in his own wisdom and in his own knowledge. Would he accept the path that God had laid out for him, knowing that it ended on a cross called Calvary? We don't understand, we don't realize how important it is To prove that we can be trusted not to put our will first. Not to put our will first. Every form of spiritual conflict is a battle of wills. Will we do what seems right to us or will we trust God? Will we do what seems best in the short term? for our own pleasure, for our own comfort, for our own benefit, or will we trust God? Adam, we know, failed this test miserably. He who had been entrusted with the task was not deserving of the power that he had been given. In the garden, the choice was God's way or his own way. And so we see it again in the temptation of Jesus. But notice what is different here. Notice the consequences of Adam's failure. What was supposed to be a garden is now a wilderness. Underlying that in your mind, if not in your Bible. What was supposed to be a garden is now a wilderness. Where there should have been an abundance. Think of the garden. Every fruit-bearing tree. Every kind of herb, every kind of food, everything that was good for man is what this world was intended to be. But now we find Jesus not in a garden, but in a desolate, empty, and barren environment. That's what that choice meant for Adam. The earth which should have been springing forth in fruitfulness was becoming slowly a desolate wasteland where there should have been an abundance of food, we find Jesus hungry, with nothing to eat but the very stones on the ground. Oh, we don't understand how calamitous, how utterly destructive this deviation from God's path has been to our entire creation. We don't even understand its destructive, its destructive consequences in our own lives, much less the world around us. What was supposed to be in abundance, where there was supposed to be abundance, there is now poverty. Where there should have been peace, there is now war. Where there should have been justice and equality and liberty, there is now oppression, despair, and bondage. The creatures which should be tame and in service to our mission are now wild beasts, ravenous beasts, more threat than friend, more rivals of power than service. Satan, even Satan himself was transformed. In that first garden, he had to work indirectly and in disguise. He had to come in the form of a serpent. And instead of attacking Adam directly, he, he tried to he, he recruited his his helpmate, his companion, his other half to work with him in seducing Adam to the the, the, the choices that satan would, would was having to bring to him. but now Satan no longer feels any need of disguising himself oh, I was thinking about this week. What was once shameful, what was once hidden, once what had to be done subtly, once what had to be done in disguise, once what had to be done without anybody knowing is now boldly proclaimed. Satan is no longer even hiding his agenda. The demonic realm is no longer even trying to pretend that they're angels of light. Satan comes to Christ not in disguise, but in the boldness of his true identity, confident in his power, assured that this world was more his than Christ. So bold was his assertion that he believed himself capable of delivering the world to Christ's feet. We don't know if that was a lie or a truth simply used to seduce. Satan will go either way. We just know that he had a boldness to come openly and without disguise because he did not fear. He did not believe. there. He thought he had it all on his side. Oh, how great the fall of humanity. What a disaster. What a mess Adam's children have made of this world. We live in an environment today that because of Adam's fall, the door has been opened for every wicked thing to claim a piece of this world for themselves. Every wicked idea, every false gospel of hope, every assertion of authority is now free to run about and claim whatever they can. You've seen looters in a riot. This is what's happening in the spiritual realm, in our time, and in our place. Demons no longer having to hide, no longer having to pretend, no longer having to to accept any authority other than their own. All this because of man's willful rebellion and succumbing to temptation. Adam's fall opens the door for every wicked thing to take their little piece of the pie. But I'm here today to tell you that Jesus has come to reassert the authority of the kingdom of God. This battle in the wilderness, this man-on-demon confrontation, this titanic struggle, between Christ and Satan, is really no contest at all. If this was a Super Bowl, it would have been over by halftime. If this was a boxing match, it would have been a three-round knockout. If this was some sort of athletic contest, this would have been Usain Bolt against me. Even if he gave me a, what's the thing, a meter, 100 meters? Is that it? If he gave me a 95-meter head start, he'd still beat me across the line. It's a mismatch of titanic proportions. Because Satan made one error in his calculations. Hallelujah. He thought he was dealing with another atom another son of man who could be seduced, who could be allured, who could be misdirected and deceived, but he had come into the presence of the Son of the living God, the one who had come to heal all who were oppressed of the devil, the one who had come to undo every work. Oh, church, I hope we understand what the power of Christ's temptation means in our life. I hope we understand that as bad a service as Adam did us, Christ has done us the greatest honor and given us the greatest victory humanity has ever known. That bold, proud, deceiving, accusing, slandering spirit who thought he had all of humanity under his thumb let me just stop here for a moment. I know what it looks like. I know what's happening in our Congress, in our Senates, in our White Houses. I know what's happening in our courtrooms. I know what's happening in the halls of power. One could be easily forgiven for believing Satan has won. But the wilderness teaches us one Important lesson that we must learn. Learn. Christ does not gain the victory by playing by the devil's rules. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, no, you're not understanding what I'm saying. Christ could have taken the devil up on his offer and fought the devil on the devil's ground and on the devil's turf. He could have tried the political path that the devil was offering him, the path of fame and the path of celebrity, and the path of political influence and economic influence. He could have done it the way that the devil has fooled everyone who's ever tried to do it, but Christ realized that there was another choice he could make. He could choose the path that God had laid out, the path of resistance. We fully and completely underestimate the power of resistance. James would tell his readers, resist the devil. And he will flee from you. The devil doesn't know what to do about resistance. He has no plan for resistance. He has no way of corrupting resistance. When we take our stand against Satan and we say it does not matter how hot the fire gets or how much we appear to be in the minority, we will not compromise. We will not accept you as ruler and God of this world. We will stand even if it means our death on a cross. We will conquer In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I don't know what these next few months or years are going to bring to our nation. But I know the temptation is ever going to be there to do it Satan's way. To try to do it at a ballot box. To try to do it at a poll. To try to do it through writing some letters. Or marching in some protest. And if that feels good to you, I'm not telling you not to do it. But I'm telling you, God has a different path. God has a different plan. He overcomes evil with good. He does not render evil for evil. He suffers and He endures the persecutions and the heartbreaks and the heartaches because He knows that love is stronger than hate and that the grace of God covers the multitude of sins and that if we will resist the enemy with all our might, See, the devil's strategy is to make us another Adam. Just another has-been, washed-up, compromised, broken human being. But God has a different plan. His plan is to make us like Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus succeeded where Adam failed. He became the head of a new kind of humanity. He overcame the temptations on our behalf. He has come to complete the mission that was originally given to Adam, to subdue the earth. Oh, pastor, you're preaching that power gospel now. Yes, I am. But it's not going to sound like you hear it on TV. Those TV preachers, I don't know how many of them understand what the power gospel really is you hear a lot of Pentecostal preachers get up in the pulpit and talk about taking authority. Come on. Taking authority. we got to take authority over this situation. My God, that's the devil's game right there. That's the devil's game right there. That, once he's got you in that political mindset or in that earthly mindset, it's all on his terms. It's all on his terms. But notice this. Jesus has come to take dominion over this world, to subdue the earth. And he began by subduing the very serpent that caused the earth to become the wasteland, the emptiness and the void that it is today. But he didn't do it by playing by the devil's rules. He did it by offering himself up as a sacrifice, as a savior. He chose the tree of life. Eternal obedience to the will of the Father. Because he did, he is truly deserving of the title that Satan mocked him with, the Son of God. We hate mockery, don't we? We hate to be belittled. We hate to be put down. Our Adamic nature rises up in all of its fury. How dare you? see me as something to be scorned, to be mocked, to be made fun of. But Jesus willingly allowed himself to be mocked and scorned and made fun of. If you are the Son of God, come on, come on. Satan loves to play that game with us. You know, if you were really a child of God, you wouldn't be suffering out here in this wilderness and wasteland. You'd be living in the lap of luxury and plenty. Come on. You know the ones who preach it. Mark it. Mark them well. If you're really a child of God, this pandemic wouldn't be able to touch you. All this mass business, this is all proof that you've got no faith. You know how many times I've been hit with that one? People looking at me, judging me, because I make myself a spectacle for the cause of Christ. You claim to be a child of God, a son of God. Why don't you assert some of those divine heavenly rights you claim to have? Oh, the devil's a liar. <laughs> He is so deceitful and so tricky and so cunning that he can make you think you're doing God's work when, you're, when you are simply furthering the devil's agenda. When we see Jesus win this victory, he's winning it for all of us. And if we are to share and apply this victory in our own life, we have to win it the same way he does we have to tame those wild beasts of self-will and self-indulgence and most of all self-pity. We find ourselves in a wilderness. What's the first thing we do? Oh, poor me. Oh, you don't know. You don't know how I'm suffering, Pastor. Yes, I do. You know how I do? Because I pray for you every single day. And I feel your heart and your pain and your suffering. I know this is almost unendurable, what we're going through. And the temptation is so strong in me on some days to turn from this path and find an easier way. Don't you think I would love an easier way? That's what the Satan was offering Christ. You want to be ruler of this world? Here's an easier path. You don't have to go through all this suffering business. If you're hungry, command the Psalms. Someone gets in your way, call an angel down. We got into that, didn't we? Well, if you don't don't call in for Bible study, you miss all the good stuff. We did a good 15 minutes on this calling angels business. You don't like the way the world's going? Well, my goodness, why don't you just get up there and take authority over it? It's not my authority to take, it's God's world. The earth is Lord's, the fullness thereof. Not my world. I'm the servant.
1: Amen.
0: I'm here by grace. Amen. Amen. The only one who had the right to do it was Jesus Christ, and he chose not to. What good does it take to have all the authority if the only use of that authority is destruction? I did not come to destroy the world. I did not come to condemn the world, he said. I came that the world might be saved. And if it's going to be saved, it's not going to be by taking authority over it. It's going to be by embodying the grace, the love, and the mercy of Jesus Christ in every aspect of our life. We must give the world an alternative to Satan's path. We must do it a different way. Jesus came to tame the wild beast of self-pity. To resist the demons. And provoked the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Jesus came to look Satan in the eye and tell him that his reign was coming to an end. And there was going to be a new path and a new way for the people of God. Jesus' experience in the tempt- of temptation is more than simply a personal model. I love this. When I saw this, my God, it it lifted me up. What, what, what should and could have been a, a, a miserable sermon, and I'll admit to this point, it ain't been a bed of roses. When we talk about suffering, when we talk about enduring, when we talk about putting up with all the devil's foolishness and nonsense and not fighting back on his terms, that's not a lot of fun. But then I saw something here that changed my whole perspective on it. This... Victory of Christ is more than a model for how we resist temptation. It is that. It is that, but it's more. This. And let me set it up properly. In the garden, we see the beginning of man's fall. But now in the wilderness, We see the beginning of Satan's fall. Hallelujah. The God of this world has been dethroned. The prince of the power of the air is now cast out. He's been judged. And he is to be bound because he has no power to prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he could only say that because he had already beaten Satan in his head to head matchup. My God, somebody give Lord praise. Satan is a caricature of himself. Like some, and forgive me, if this makes you think less of me, get over it. when I was a young man, I liked to watch wrestling. Every once in a while. No. I watched it a lot. I was Randy Macho Man Savage's biggest fan. I loved the Junkyard Dog oh Dusty Rose the bionic elbow couldn't stand Ric Flair hated him with a passion amen the four horsemen I love to watch them lose the fabulous Thunderbirds they were my guys amen loved them all I know it's not very becoming but you know what you got a pass too.
1: Yeah.
0: If I was going digging around in your past, what would I find?
1: Yeah.
0: But you'd always have that scene they'd set up, and I tell you what, I'd fight anybody years ago that would tell me it was all fake and planned, but I'd become wiser. You yeah. <laughs> yeah. okay, I I I, I wouldn't buy that now. You tell me it was fake, I, come on, let's go.
1: Yeah.
0: I'll show you how fake it is. Let me let me put you in a figure four. We'll see how fake it is. All right. I was younger and a little bit naiver back in those days. More naive. But you'd see that scene where the the cheating champion Oh, there's this one guy. He'd always have powder in his trunks. He'd grab a chair. He'd he'd wait where the referee's back was turned and do some cheating, stealing thing. Boy, he used to make me so mad. I'd jump up in my liver and say, he's cheating! Like he could hear me. Amen. Every once in a while, that cheating guy would win the belt. And he'd parade around the arena and the stage, and he'd strut, and he'd cock, and he'd crow, and he'd do all those things, but you knew, you knew it was a matter of time. Somebody was coming down the pipe. Ooh, Rowdy, Rowdy Piper. Loved him, too. That somebody would come and set it right, and that his moment in the sun was going to be ever so brief. I tell you, Satan likes to crow. He likes to strut. Yeah. He likes to think that he's in charge, but I'm telling you what, it's all a show. Yeah. He's been beaten. Yeah. He knows he's been beaten. Yeah. Revelation tells us he knows his time is short. Yeah. He's got a moment to do his work. When, when Jesus comes in all of his glory, game over. And I'm here today to tell you that we are called to make Satan's defeat defeat personal in our own life. As Christ, we must resist his lies. Every time we don't buy the hype, we add to his humiliation. Every time we deny his authority in our life. We uphold and affirm the authority of Jesus Christ. The gates of hell will not prevail. I don't care how dark it gets out there, church. I don't care what happens next in Congress. I'm telling you, Satan is beaten.
1: Hallelujah.
0: He took his best shot. He tried to abort this thing, short-circuit it before it even got started. Amen. But he left that wilderness bruised and bloody and beaten and defeated. Amen. And you know why we know that? Because you keep reading Mark and you find that everywhere Jesus went, demons trembled Amen. and fled and begged. They knew their master had been beaten, and they had no shot. Jesus would walk into places, and the demons would cry out, Leave us alone. Don't bother us. Let us go. I'm telling you once again, the church of the living God is going to rise up in the power of Christ's victory over death, hell, and the grave. One more time, the demons are going to tremble in the presence of the victorious Christ. One more time. But it takes a church that's committed to resisting the devil with all their might. He doesn't quit easily. Even here, it tells us in the other passages, the devil only left him for a short time. The devil always comes back. But each time he comes back, he's a little bit weaker. Than he was the time before. Every time we beat him. oh, he tried to think of some new strategy. Some new way. But I tell you what. He emptied the barrel at Christ. And came up with nothing. And he's got nothing on you. And he's got nothing on me. The handwriting ordinances. The very thing that gave him his power has been erased, has been washed clean. The next time the accuser comes and wants to call you a name, call him a liar. You say I'm defeated double, but Christ says I've already won. You say, I'm never going to be anything but a no-good sinner. But Christ already calls me his brother, his sister, and the Father already calls me his child. You say, I've got nothing, but I'm telling you that I'm going to inherit the entire world and everything in it. You say, devil, that you're greater than me. But I say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. I'm telling you, church, he's beaten. And you can apply that victory in your own life. Would you stand with me this morning? Adam let it, Adam failed. He let us all down. But I don't think any one of us would have done any better in his place. If it had been you or me in that garden we probably would have followed the very same path. Yeah. I'm so glad God sent his only begotten son Amen. to do for us what we could not could not do for ourselves. Redemption begins at the place where we fell. Amen. The wilderness is in The process of becoming a garden once again. And the emptiness, the vanity, the void of this world is once again being filled with the people of God. Satan is defeated. His lies exposed for the shallow deceptions that they truly are. And yet today, we still live in a world... That needs to be subdued. We're going to go from this place this morning. And the demons are already in place. They have the upper hand in the culture. They have the upper hand in the political establishments. They roam the halls of Wall Street like it's their own palace. They've all but taken over the education systems of our nation. The lies of Satan are proclaimed in the halls of universities, all the way down to the kindergartens of our world. It would be so easy for us to think we've lost. This story reminds us we haven't. This world can be subdued by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we will live it, and if we will preach it to every living creature, the dominion of God's authority and God's kingdom will assert itself heart by heart, life by life. Father God, we come to you today in the power of Christ's victory. We all know what it means to be tempted. We all know what it means to face a devil, even one of our own making. Where our own desires betray us. And our own flesh seems to be in league against us. Where the world around us offers us no garden, only a wilderness where there should be an abundance of love, where there should be an abundance of joy and an abundance of peace. There is only anger and hatred and prejudice and bigotry. Where there should be unity, there is war and division. What should be a garden remains a wilderness. But Father, you have done the work. Lord Jesus, you have done the work. You have begun the process of reclaiming what was lost, of redeeming what was lost. And you've done so at the very beginning. So Lord, I ask you to look on your church today. Look on every heart, mind, and soul in this place. Let the process of redemption begin if it has not already in the very place that was broken. For fellowship was broken, God, go back to the beginning, help us, O oh God, to remember from where we came, and Lord, we do rebuke and resist the devil. Yes. We resist his work, we resist his words, we resist his lies, we resist his power with all of our might, but our might is not enough. We pray for an endowment, an endowment of the Holy Spirit in our heart and mind to empower us to resist as Christ resists. Holy Spirit of God, you are greater in us than he who is in this world. Spirit of Christ. You are greater in us than he who is in this world. Lord God, we call today on the example of Christ in resisting Satan with all that you have given us to resist. Let this heart, let this mind, let this life be the first to be subdued under the authority of Jesus Christ. Help us as we go to those who are still in bondage, to those still in need. Let us bring the provisions of the cross and resurrection, the life-giving, liberating provisions found on Calvary's tree, the blood that delivers, the life that saves, to a world that is in utter chaos today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you join me this morning as we take the symbols of victory? We take the championship belt of Christ's victory on the cross, His body, His blood, which shows us the path and power of that victory. There is no one No one who could have done what Jesus did. His victory should have been his alone. But he has chosen to make its provisions available to whosoever will. There is no need to fail. There is no need to fall. Christ has taken our place. He has... Defeated Satan for us. I know. I know the cross was a victory. Many in the world see it as a defeat. They see it as a loss. They see it as a failure. It's a scandal to some. It's foolishness to others. But we know. We know it was there that Satan's defeat became final. Behold, I watched as Satan fell from heaven, Christ said. He told his disciples the night before he hung from the tree, now is the prince of this world judged. Now the whole world will see him defeated. I imagine in my own mind so often the image of those demons dancing and celebrating crowing boasting of their victory over Christ on Calvary street I imagine in my fertile imagination that moment when they realize the colossal mistake By bringing death upon him, they had allowed Christ into their domain. My God. My God. You talk about your ultimate Trojan horse. They brought him into their domain, thinking him beaten and defeated. Ah, but that moment when he rose up. He said, I didn't come here to be death's prisoner. I came here to deliver everyone whom you're holding hostage. I've come to set them free. My God. There's one prophecy above all others that I like to quote back to the devil. In dust, you shall crawl on your belly all the days of your life and dust shall be your food. One more mouthful of dust, devil. That's all you're going to get from me because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Father, we bless the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this morning. We bless this bread, the symbol of his humanity, the symbol of his flesh. He became one of us that we might become like him. He suffered. He endured. He was faithful in this body so that this body might become an instrument of healing and deliverance for those that were under Satan's power. We bless this bread today and we proclaim the healing and delivering power of Jesus Christ for all who are oppressed by the devil to be real, to be present, and to be effective. We bless this bread in Jesus' name. Take, eat, and be made whole in Christ Jesus. Oh hallelujah. All bless the Lord. Thank you, Jesus.
1: Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.
0: Our great enemy, our great enemy is an accuser, a slanderer, And his chief slander against the people of God is their sin. When we fail, when we fall, the devil loves to rub our nose in it. But oh, the blood, the precious blood. Father God, we bless this cup today. The symbol of our forgiveness. The remission of our sins. The wiping out of the handwriting of ordinances which was against us. The death sentence has been pardoned. Our sins are no more. Oh, we bless the cup that symbolizes the blood of Jesus Christ. For it is that blood that sets us free. It is that blood that gives the enemy the punch in the mouth he so richly deserves. Father God, we thank you. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Oh, how precious your blood is to us today. Let every sin be cleansed. Let every heart be renewed. Let every conscience, every mind be made clean today by the blood of Jesus Christ. This we pray. In Jesus' name, take and drink. And may the life of Jesus be renewed in you today. Bless the Lord. Bless the living God. Hallelujah. 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 I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Jesus. Glory to your name. Even death itself has no more power. That's how thoroughly the devil has been defeated. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless his living name. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let us remember those who could not be with us today. Let us remember the sick, the hurting. Let us remember those that are in despair this morning. Those who are grieving loss. Those who are hurting financially, needing a miracle just to, just to keep the roofs over their head. The needs are many. The needs are great. But God is greater. God is greater. God is greater. Hallelujah.
1: This has been a production of the Lighthouse Church of God. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. You are welcome to join us for service every Sunday at 1030 a.m. For more information or to support our ministry, visit our website at www.lhcogfl.org. Or if you're in the Broward County area, we would love for you to visit our church located at 1890 Southwest 31st Avenue, Fort Lauderdale, Florida 33312. God bless you. Until next time, this is the Lighthouse Church of God, lighting the way through the storms of life.